This is the Senior Living Truth Series podcast, where we have candid conversations about complex issues facing today's mature adults. No sales pitch, only the truth. I'm Dr. Nikki Buckaloo. Welcome to the show. Good morning, everybody. Nikki Buckaloo here at the Senior Living Truth Series with my wonderful panel of experts. I have Holly and Crystal at Oklahoma Hospice and Palliative Care, and I have David and Linda from Director's Life Assurance, and we're going to be talking about death, dying, and funerals today, and doing all of those with dignity, and uh, it's a topic that people don't like to talk about. It's not generally a conversation over dinner, and yet uh, it's probably the topic that uh, right now we should all be uh, talking about um, with COVID especially, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that today as well. I have our panelists talk about how COVID is impacting um, the end of life process. Um, and uh, but before we get into the content, I want to do a little housekeeping. Okay, is that all right with you guys? A little bit of housekeeping. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, this is being recorded. So um, some of some of you have emailed and asked if I want to share this with somebody who couldn't be on the live um, session. Can we do that? Absolutely. It's recorded. We'll be providing it to you and it'll be on the website. So it'll be on the seniorlivingtruthseries.com website. You can access it there. Probably um, give us till tomorrow, maybe by the end of the day, but definitely tomorrow. And then um, also we have two new topics for this year. We swapped out a couple of topics for September and October. So in September, we're going to be, uh, the topic will be the truth about COVID in Oklahoma. So um, stay tuned for that and uh, plan on joining us for that session as well as October, the truth about technology for seniors. So we're going to be talking about how to use technology effectively and safely uh, after retirement. So uh, join us for that one. And then um, we're going to hope to do our session live it, uh, back at Quail Creek Golf and Country Club in September. So keep your fingers crossed. We're working on that. And hopefully we can be back in person in September um, with masks and all that good stuff. But um, whatever we got to do to get back and get active and get social, that's our goal. Okay. Um, any other housekeeping items from you guys? Are we good to go? All right. I want to thank our sponsors. Yeah, let's, I want to make sure that you guys know that all of these folks on our panel today are sponsors and we have uh, all of our sponsors that you guys received in your mid-year update are out there really working hard to make sure you guys get what you need, um, especially while we're all kind of having to do business a little bit differently. So thanks for that. We appreciate uh, the effort that everybody's making to be safe. Yeah. All right, so let's dive in. Um, I am going to start with just a, a little introduction. I'm going to have each one of these guys tell us who they are um, and what their organization does and what they kind of what they do there for that organization. So I'll just I'm going to start with you, Holly, and then Crystal, and then I'll get uh, Linda and David. So Holly, you're up. Hi, good morning, everyone. I am Holly Andrews with Oklahoma Palliative and Hospice Care, and I have been in the senior healthcare system now for about, it'll be five years in November. Um, my goal at Oklahoma Palliative and Hospice Care is to connect on a very personal level and educate individuals and families on the resources available through Palliative and Hospice Care. 
Yeah. And you're a master at it. You know, ever since I met you, I've, you've been an educator. Like you're one of those people I know that, um, I can just go to and ask questions. It feels so normal and natural. Like you're just, that's just what you're born to do. So glad to have you on board. Thanks. Thank you. All right, Crystal, and um, also with Oklahoma Palliative and Hospice Care, uh, tell everybody a little bit about what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. My name is Crystal Hamilton. I have been with Oklahoma Palliative and Hospice Care for about six months, but I have been in healthcare for about 10 years um, as a nurse. I am currently the uh, Community Relations Manager, and I help um, be a resource for Holly and the as our nurses and clinical staff. Um, same thing Holly said is we try to educate families and patients on the services that we can provide and um, make sure that you guys are getting the best care possible. Awesome. So you have a nursing background and now you're kind of in almost a more of a supervisory role, right? Kind of working with all different yes. aspects of the organization. Yes, as a nurse, I've worked, I've done hospice care, I've done home health, I've worked in a hospital setting, I've worked in a doctor's office setting, um, but I definitely have fallen in love with the hospice side of nursing. Yeah, well, that's a heart thing, right? You got to have a heart. Uh, yes. Yeah, very yes. good. Love, glad to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. All right, Linda with Director's Life Assurance, tell us a little bit about what you've got going on there. Well, Director's Life Assurance Company was formed back in 87, and I started with the company back in 88. And so what our company does, we fund prearranged funerals through independent funeral homes in four different states, in Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas, and Kansas. And our job is to assist families in prearranging uh, end of life as it relates to funeral service, whether it be a ceremony, so the selection of goods and services, and then we fund that funeral that's been prearranged with life insurance policies that are specially designed for this type of uh, funding vehicle or annuity contracts. So all we do is help folks prearrange funerals through awesome. funeral homes. Awesome. I love it. Now, Linda, David uh, came to us and when we had a meeting with you guys and David provides some kind of uh, added value services through those funeral homes as well, right? So David, tell us a little bit about what you do in addition to what Director's Life does. Uh, thank you. Um, what I do in addition to helping families pre-plan and you can kind of see me as the individual that's actually sitting with the family and working through pre-arrangements. But the other thing that we provide is uh, grief support. Uh, we do that through the International Grief Institute. And we provide families with an environment of, of helping them navigate through uh, a very difficult time in their life. And so uh, that's one of the added benefits that we, uh, we provide. So I just want to point something out to our audience um, in why I think this particular collection of people is so important to know about. And that is that there are services out there um, all over the place, just like in real estate. Realtors are all different. We don't do real estate the same way everybody else does real estate. We have our kind of our specialty, right? And that's why we help people downsize. Well, in these industries, in the hospice care industry and the funeral uh, end of life planning and prepaid burial services industries, they're all different too, right? Like you guys, 
not, it's not a one size fits all proposition. And the, I know that Oklahoma hospice and palliative care is very much a Christian centered faith-based company. Um, they operate based on that value system. I know that uh, Linda and her team also are very faith-based individuals. I don't know. I can't speak for the company because I haven't read that about you guys. But I know from talking with David, David, you have a pastoral background. Is that correct? I do. I, I've spent over 20 years in uh, Christian ministry. Yeah. So I guess the reason that I feel so really uh I guess humbled and, and I appreciate so much having you guys is that this for you isn't just a business. This isn't just a job that you show up at every day. This is actually people's lives that you're dealing with and you take that very seriously. So uh, life and death, right? OB nurses and people who deal with end of life issues are very special people because they connect at a really deep level. So um, thank you for that. And I just want to appreciate you for being that person in people's lives. So let's dive into the topic at hand. Um, I did a little bit of reading last night um, after, by the way, I'm in Austin. You guys may wonder where the heck is Nikki because her team's not here and this isn't my office. I'm in Austin, Texas in a hotel room. Um, I'm here visiting my newest grandchild. So my daughter had Eli a week ago today. And so uh, if you've been on Facebook at all, you've seen my posts and uh, my three beautiful grandbabies and my daughter and her son, her husband, my son-in-law. And so, um, but I was doing a little bit of reading last night, trying to settle in. And so I wanted to share some statistics real quick before I open it up and ask these guys some questions. And I'm actually gonna share my screen here real quick. And see if I can do it correctly. Well, that's, that's always the question of the day for me. All right. That should be, you all should be seeing a, uh, uh, a list of uh, causes of death in Oklahoma. And this is from the uh, Dr. William Pava, the executive director of the Center for Health Systems Innovation at Oklahoma State University. And I, I thought this was important because it, right now with COVID being the number one thing people are talking about, and there's so much news and so much reporting on COVID that people have a tendency to think that's the, that's the issue of, you know, death and dying right now. But in fact, uh, death in Oklahoma anyway, a heart disease is at the top of the uh, food chain there. So you have heart disease, Cancer, for those of you who are listening in by phone, I'm just going to read through them real quick from top to bottom. Health disease, cancer, chronic lower respiratory disease, accidents, stroke, Alzheimer's disease, diabetes, and then coronavirus, and uh, then suicide, chronic liver disease or cirrhosis, and then flu slash pneumonia. So 30 people roughly 30 people a day die of heart disease, uh, 22 to 23 of cancer. And then down under coronavirus, they're figuring right now the data shows about three to four people per day. So, and that's an average over the last 116 days. So I share that to say uh, coronavirus isn't the only issue that you guys are dealing with. Um, people are dying for lots of reasons and of lots of different um, unfortunate circumstances. And so that's why you're in business, right? 
that's why you're in business. And uh, so I want to talk a little bit about before we talk about the general part of it, how has COVID changed hospice and palliative care or has it? Holly, um, has there been anything that you guys have had to do to adapt your services? What we've had to do to adapt um, in providing services to our patients is uh, more of the PPE, uh, personal protection equipment that is required to safely uh, continue to support, treat, and um, be a resource to families. So it's mainly about gearing up and gowning up, right? Correct. Okay. What about um, just are people more or less inclined to use hospice right now with COVID going on? We have um, been with families who have decided or um, not to go the way of hospice support um, for fear of individuals coming into their home setting and perhaps uh, bringing um, exposure to coronavirus to them. Wow, that's unfortunate, isn't it? Is. it? Yeah. And then have there been people opting to go home from hospitals and receive hospice care at home for the same fear of being in the hospital? Well, I think those, those people are a little more inclined to have our services on board to support them when they get home from a discharge only because, you know, they're, um, they, they have seen the, um, the personal protection uh, that's involved in a clinical setting and obviously that would transfer into the home setting as well for the medical individuals who are seeing about them. Yeah. So Crystal, you mentioned yesterday when we talked on the uh, kind of prep call when we were visiting, you said that the that sometimes the healthcare workers that come in look like, um, did, was it astronauts that you told me? Yeah, astronauts. Yes. So, <laughs> like an astronaut. So what is it that people can expect from your organization in terms of making sure people are safe um, and, and actually, whether it's even safe or just perceived safe, right? Whatever, we, we don't know for sure, but sure. what is it you're having to do? So when our staff comes in, uh, our nurses, our home health aides, chaplains, social workers, or community relations reps, when we come into your home to do an information visit, we will have on gowns, the yellow gowns, gloves, a mask. We actually will have on two masks. One is an N95, which is the mask that's recommended for prevention of corona, and then a mask on top of that. That way we're able to wash the external mask and then a face shield. Um, face shields aren't worn at every visit or every home. Um, that is more for in community settings, but in home they will definitely have on two masks, a gown, and a glove. Okay. And that allows us to break the social distancing and actually come provide that care and come have that physical touch that the close-up contact and have a more personal visit than sitting across the room just talking to you and it okay. protects you and it protects the other patients as well gotcha so you can you can be in their personal space as long as you have those shields and the ppe equipment otherwise you have to stay the prerequisite six feet or more apart right yes yes yeah. I don't know about you, but sometimes like when I'm not feeling well or I'm, I'm sick and I can't hear very well, sometimes your ears are clogged up and, you know, if you don't have your glasses on, you can't see. And so I can't imagine trying to be a caregiver from across the room, <laughs> right? So all of that equipment is so important. Um, anything else that's changed for you guys as a result of COVID um, in the, in the hot palliative and hospice care world? 
We are definitely getting more patients coming home than going to the community. Um, by coming home on hospice, that allows patients to still be with their family members and see their loved ones. Um, so we have seen an increase in that. Uh, but for the most part, um, just the way we, we do business, we have to alter it a little bit, but we're still able to provide the care and provide the patients with the resources that they need. So to be clear, what you're saying is, so if someone's in the hospital and they qualify for hospice, instead of going into, say, skilled nursing or an assisted living or some sort of a congregate environment, they're moving home. Reason being, families can't go into those yes. buildings right now to visit, right? Yeah. I right. can't imagine. And That's if they feel cool. like their loved one is, yes, they feel like if their loved one's going to pass, they would rather be with them and have somebody with them when they're passing. So that families are making that decision to to bring loved ones home and some people aren't working right now. So they were in the past, they wouldn't have that opportunity to bring a loved one home to care for them. They're now able to. So we yeah. have seen an increase in that. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Uh, Linda, what about you and David? Uh, what's changed in your world as a result of COVID, if anything? Well, I think the first thing and David can add to this is that we really began implementing virtual appointments the type of experience that we're having right now, we've implemented that so that people would feel more comfortable in their own home, visiting with David or other advanced planners about their final arrangements and what they'd like. So it's opened a door, another venue, if you will, so that seniors in particular feel comfortable they're in their own space and you don't have to worry about the social distancing or the masking up, it's just provided them an additional option. Right. Uh, anything you wanna to add to that, David? Well, uh, from a family experience, um, we're finding a lot of difference, not necessarily in what we're doing, but certainly from the funeral perspective and what's going on there. Talk about that some more. What's happening? What are they having to do differently? Well, in, in many cases, uh, smaller gatherings uh, are consistent. Um, and so many times families are struggling with the idea of having um, uh, people that they're used to having around them during a, a time of crisis being close. Yeah. And so we're, we're finding in the funeral home those kinds of changes. Uh, a lot more video streaming and people are able to interact that way. And so that's one of the, the nice things that has come out of this. Uh, but those are some of the changes. And of course, just how hospitals are handled and, and uh, those kinds of things also have a huge impact on families. So many families are experiencing a stair-step experience starting at maybe the hospital or a uh, nursing facility and then moving through the course of life and uh, passing. And uh, it's, it's many times difficult for families uh, during this time. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to a memorial service this Saturday for uh, one of my cousins on my mom's side of the family who passed away earlier this year. And, you know, it was really disheartening because our family is pretty large on that side of the family. And when there's a funeral, that's like our way of gathering. Like we gather for funerals and, and weddings and babies, right? I mean, that's what we do. And so 
they had to put off the funeral service and they're doing it now instead of back uh, earlier uh, because their church wouldn't allow them to gather uh, people more than a certain number at the time. And so now they've announced that the church is allowing them to do it. And even then I'm finding that some of my family members, particularly those that are 70 or older are saying, you know, I don't know if I'm going to go. That's exactly what's going on. Yeah. And it's, you know, it makes me sad and I understand it, but it makes me sad. I have another cousin on that same side of the family that passed down in Florida and they're putting off his services for a considerable period of time because a lot of the family would have to travel for that particular service. And a lot of people aren't traveling right now. They don't want to be um, on the road or in hotels or uh, on an airplane either. So lots of things going on with that. You know, Nikki, another thing that I'm seeing is that families are probably more aware than ever of the importance of pre-planning. We're seeing people much younger uh, coming to us and beginning to say, I need to have plans. I've had cases recently where moms wanted to take care of their children uh, and their arrangements. And so we are are seeing some, um, just maybe a different way of thinking about processing life right now. It's a heightened awareness, isn't it? you know, up to this point before the pandemic, uh, death and dying was definitely back burnered, wasn't it? Definitely. Not a priority, not thinking about it, unless you're towards that age that you think, you know, hey, it's imminent, um, whether it's a decade or a year, they don't know, but people my age have definitely back burnered it, you know? Um, and you know what's funny? As I say that, we just looked at those statistics, that list, of reasons for for uh, causes of death in Oklahoma and accidents is way up there, right? And that has nothing to do with age, nothing. Nor does mm-hmm. cancer, I suppose, or you know, a lot of those. So, and I would I would say that's a great point that you're bringing up about accidents because there is a myth. One of the myths about um, advanced planning is that it's only for seniors. It's only for people when they reach the time in their life where they start talking about their wills, they start talking about their trust, they talk about downsizing. Um, That's a myth. It is, yeah. uh, Advanced planning is for anyone at an age where they have loved ones that they care about, that there needs to be some recognition that that life was lived. And that's what a funeral service provides. It provides an opportunity for friends and family to recognize and remember a life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I wanna circle back to that um, because really the planning process is what we're talking about here, right? Like if you're in crisis mode, you just have to make a decision. And there's very little research put into that. Um, There's very little uh, homework done and conversations had. It just has to happen, right? Yeah, I was talking with Holly and Crystal yesterday about hospice care and palliative care and how um, oftentimes you guys said that, that people just go with whatever service the doctor recommends or the hospital refers to them because they don't know any different. Um, and those aren't necessarily bad referrals or bad recommendations. They just may not be the best fit for that particular family. Um, 
Holly, you know, we talked about the fact that people can actually plan ahead and as they're creating their plan, their legacy plan, which we talk about using the gift with the Villages OKC, you know, how you put your binder together with all of the pieces for transition and you can literally hand that binder to whomever is in, in charge of that part of your life. And so Holly, how does someone go about planning ahead for hospice? I mean, you don't know if you'll need it, but how do you plan for it? So I'm just going to throw this out there based on the list that you shared with us on, you know, accidents, um, cancer, even heart disease can affect um, the young. And to that point is that you need to have a plan in place. I mean, obviously the younger generation feels less vulnerable in that environment of looking at a list like that. But, you know, um, myself and in midlife and the, and of course the aging population that I've been serving for the last five years is nobody's promised tomorrow. Right. And therefore it's best to have a plan. Um, in the environment of palliative and hospice care, you have the opportunity, first off, it's your choice who is going to provide that service for you and that you um, should do some due diligence in navigating or interviewing hospice, palliative or hospice, and hospice companies to find out who can, um, who, who is going to have the best um, services that you feel is appropriate, their vision and mission statement and how that business acts in accordance um, to their mission statement. And just ask the questions, ask the hard questions. Um, and I think Crystal can kind of speak more to that clinical piece where those hard questions need to be asked. Yeah, Crystal, the one that really struck me yesterday that you just kind of made an offhanded comment and I caught it. It was like, oh my gosh, the whole issue of sedation and medication um, and how different hospices handle that. Can you speak to that issue a little bit? Yeah, so one of the main questions that we get is or pushback that we get from patients and family is I don't want to come on hospice. I don't want you to stop all my medications and just keep me so sedated that I don't know what's going on. Um, there are some companies that that's their policy and that's what they do is they stop everything and they just give you pain and anxiety medication to where the patient is over sedated. Um, but that's not, that's not every hospice. Um, some hospices, we allow for you to continue your medication um, and we will give you your pain medication and anxiety medication when it's time and when it's appropriate for you guys to have it. So if somebody is in chronic pain or anxious, of course, we're going to have it on board, but we're going to leave it as an option to you. Um, the patient and family are always involved in the plan of care of what is needed and I like to tell patients you guys can do as much and or as little as what you want um, when it comes to medication wise so not not every hospice company is the same in that aspect do you think and I maybe I'm speculating here but what popped in my mm -hmm. mind is historically I've done panels with your group before different people on the panel and they've all said the same thing that it's not uncommon for people to graduate off of hospice with you because you get better like talk about that i mean does that have to do with how you're managing the medications definitely so it can be a number of things obviously disease processes um, are different for each disease but 
say somebody is a COPD patient and they are having an exacerbation where their COPD has flared up and they're just really struggling, um, if we get your medications managed and right and we're consistently um, keeping you comfortable, then you could be stable in that process for a length of time, a couple of years of time, and you're not showing a decline and we'll, we'll graduate you off of hospice. Um, so that's, that's not uncommon and it definitely can do, have to do with the fact that we are managing the medications and keeping people more comfortable and we're in the home and we're keeping a closer eye on you and we're having that constant communication between the nurse and the physician. You don't have to wait for an appointment um, to have that conversation. So I, I think that that ha does have a lot to do with it. So you are facilitating not just the in-home care piece, but the communications with all of the different providers. And I know from my own family members dealing with different doctors, you may have three or four different doctors, uh, specialists and GPs and so on. And so when I make a phone call, they put me on hold and then I wait. And then sometimes I'll leave a message and then they'll say they'll get back to me. It may be the next day before they get back to me. So you're telling me that you guys have more of a direct line? Yes, so for hospice, you have 24 seven access to a nurse. So if you had a question or a problem, you could call our office or call your nurse. And then that, if that nurse couldn't fix it, then she would then call our medical director. And our medical director is amazing at getting back with the nurse if she doesn't answer immediately. And then we can have that problem resolved. Um, one thing that is a benefit, say you are in a pain crisis, instead of having to go to the doctor's office to get your script the next morning, we can call it into our pharmacy and our pharmacy will then have it delivered to your house within a couple of hours. Wow. So it is, we do have a more direct line of communication and we do have more resources um, because of the fact that you're on hospice, we're able to provide a more, a faster service because that we understand in this industry, you don't always have the time that, to wait till the next day. Right. Yeah, Holly. So I wanted to add a little something to that point of people can discharge off hospice because they get better and just, just goes to show the support that we can have. Before I stepped into my wisdom of hospice, um, and I'm going back to my 20s, I had um, my grandmother was um, congestive heart failure and she would go to the hospital and they would get pull all the fluid off of her and discharge her on hospice. And before I knew anything about hospice, I used to say my grandmother survived hospice four times. <laughs> and what I didn't realize as a young person in my 20s was that the support that was provided to her in congestive heart failure was that she had this great support and she would get better and um, she they would have to discharge her because she was no longer Medicare appropriate to be on that service and um, so anyway, that's not the case for a lot of people, but um, people should know that um, hospice can be that layer of care to provide additional support. Yeah, I mean, certainly there are terminal illnesses where people are not going to improve. It's just going to progressively get worse until sure. they do pass. And in that case, I've been told, and you guys can tell me if I'm right or not, that sometimes the hospice support is more about the family than even the patient. Is that a fair statement or? Most definitely. So when I, when people are like, you love hospice, that's, that's weird. Um, <laughs> what I actually, <laughs> what I, what I love is the support that you're giving to the family as well as the patient care. So people don't realize that a lot of hospice is 
educating and providing support for the family, being there with them during the most trying time of their life um, and being that stable support system and just being be able to explain to them what is going on, which allows somebody to see things in a different light. And instead of it being a scary situation, we've now made it a um, educational situation to where it's not scary and they now know, okay, my mom is doing this because this is happening. Um, yeah. So it, it, the, I agree with you. That is a big part of hospice is family support. And even after the, the, their loved one has passed, our social workers and chaplain, our chaplain follows up with them for a little over a year after their loved one has passed. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. Uh, my mother-in-law said that about hospice when uh, her mom was on it. She said, I think that hospice actually helped me as much, if not more than my mom, because she said, I was so scared and I didn't really know what the process, she had Alzheimer's, and she said, I didn't really know what was normal and what wasn't normal. And the hospice nurse could help her differentiate, right? She could help her say, you know, this isn't normal, we need to manage this, or this is very normal, we can expect this to happen. So if this happens, this is what we'll do. And so then she could kind of breathe a little. Um, and that was, that was a blessing for sure. Yes. Um, so speaking of weird things, Linda, people liking hospice, you have a tendency to be exuberant and excited and enthusiastic about funerals and end of life services. And to the degree that people are like, Crystal, like, that's weird. Well, they, they <laughs> turn that. their head. They kind of <laughs> cock their head. Because <laughs> I, I was explaining to somebody the other day, funerals like you said earlier, are, are a time of reunion yeah, and remembrance. And that's not sad. Yeah. Because you're with people you love and think a great deal of. And the funeral, which centers upon that individual who lived that life, and they're not with us physically right now, their character, their qualities go on. Yeah. And in one sense, that's the life eternal, right? Yeah. So um, that is a joy to talk about. So I do like to say we put the fun back into funerals because we're planning an event about somebody who had a tremendous impact on others' lives and some of the best services. And, and I bet if everybody started thinking about this, um, the best services that you go to and linger in the back of your mind, I can think of one in particular. This was um, a lady who um, had a couple of boys. They were, it was the household and she had passed on. She had multiple grandchildren and I went to the service to support the husband. It was his wife. I had never met this lady before. At the end of that service, I went, wow, she was a hero hmm. because the family had planned that service so well as a way for her life to be um, discussed, talked about, and the family had come together 
and there were folks in that service who talked about that individual and it allowed them the opportunity to express their love in a very public way, a public setting. Yeah. Well, gosh, I mean, we have public services all the time. We can think of politicians, we can think of celebrities, and they're placed on a, on a pedestal at different times. We have people all over the place, grandmother and granddad deserve that. Yeah, they're celebrities in their own right, yeah. yeah. I believe everybody deserves a moment to be placed on the pedestal yeah. and to remembered. Yeah. What's sad about that? You know, I service provides a time for somebody to be their hero. Well, and you call it a grateful gathering every once in a while. I'll hear you say that. Um, yep. What a beautiful way, right, to say it. You had several ways that people have said it. Besides just funeral, what are some of the other things people call it? Well, a, a remembrance celebration. I think the public, you'll see the hear the term a celebration of life with emphasis on life. Right. Um, it's, it's an event, it's a reunion, uh, a gathering. I love the idea of um, remembrance and gathering and gratitude. Yeah. Um, you can call it what party, you want. A party. Party, yeah. A get together. Yeah. Um, and culturally it's different too linda don't you think like i know david too as you're planning funerals culturally it's different down in louisiana you know people march down the street and play music and there's jazz and there's this it's celebratory but but people are mourning in their celebration right um i think we have to think about as families how do we gather together yeah because the time when we place somebody on that pedestal is the, the most comforting time is when we gather together in the most natural way that our family gathers together. And I know David can speak to that as well. David, I'm curious to know, are people utilizing video in their planning? Are people doing end-of-life messages to their family to be played at services yet? Is that common? Most are. Um, it is such a plus and a value added when that happens because these are the life experiences that pulls everyone together that's at that particular um, meeting or event or uh, funeral. It really is meaningful when I place the, the memory of that individual in context with a memory. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it has a tremendous value and most do what other interesting or unique things are people doing uh, in their funeral planning that maybe are new or different or most of us haven't seen that you might share i am finding that different families really have different wants some families are want a very simple approach and by that it may be the family has over the years gathered in the backyard for a barbecue and so the setting is actually not in a, a 
routine or a familiar church service, for example, it's actually in the backyard where the family spent years of time together mm -hmm. and it becomes extremely meaningful because it's tied again to memories. Yeah. So what's different today is that people are thinking about really how do we celebrate life? How do we um, as a family treasure our relationship together and focus on that when it comes to end of life planning. Yeah, well, it sounds to me like everybody better start saving money because we're all gonna go to the British Virgin Islands on catamarans and scatter my ashes in the baths, just saying. Yes, just yes by all means. Yeah. I've had families who have uh, had their uh, services on outdoor outings such as pack trips. There was a gentleman who was in his 80s and he had gone on a pack trip trip for many many years horseback and he treated the whole family to that experience when he passed on he said i'm paying for everybody to go on the pack trip and i want the guys to take my ashes to the top of the mountain and scatter them nice and so we've also had families that their tradition with all their grandkids was to take them to to Brahms for hamburgers and milkshakes. <laughs> and that family, uh, that husband and wife said, you know, we're, we, we want an experience where when we're gone, everybody goes to Brahms and has a hamburger and a milkshake. <laughs> that's awesome. And, and that made it unique because that's what those grandkids remembered was the opportunity go to Brahms and that was their special time with grandma and granddad yeah so that's a very simple but it was very meaningful uh, for that family and their interpersonal relationships with one another you know I'm curious Holly and Crystal from the hospice perspective I mean you guys are with people in those final months days hours minutes of their lives how many families um, Gosh, and I don't know if I'm looking for a number, but speak to the families that have this all in order and they, they feel good about it and they're, they've got their affairs in order versus people who are struggling with that um, because they're not in order. Talk to me about that a little bit. I think a lot of families who have um, pre-planned and have um, a hospice company in mind. And when that individual says, um, you know, I'm, I'm ready, I'm at peace with um, receiving all the treatment that I have or that can be um, helpful to me. And I now want to focus on quality of life. It's a smoother transition. It's less chaotic. Um, you aren't making in uninformed decisions in a crisis. Um, so it's more of a, a, a peaceful experience. And um, I'll tell you a little story. There was a gentleman who uh, was a prospective um, uh, resident of mine when I worked at a senior living community. And he, um, he called me one day and he goes, Holly, I'm not going to move into your community. I am, however, going to stay at home with resources around me, I've been diagnosed with cancer that's not treatable, and I'm choosing to be comfortable in my home in whatever days I have left. So his primary focus was quality of life, and that's what worked for him. Um, and it's when you when you understand the underutilized resource 
and you tap into that when you're diagnosed with a serious or life-limiting illness, it just becomes a smoother transition. Um, we have worked with families who don't, don't have a plan in place. A physician has basically shared with them, there's nothing more we can do for you. Um, and they don't have that knowledge of palliative and hospice care companies that can be a resource to them. So they are acting in, um, may, may rely on their physician for that resource or that recommendation. Yeah. Um, it also Crystal, makes it, oh, sorry, go ahead. it also makes it tougher if you don't have something, not necessarily tougher, but if you have a, if you have a plan in place for the funeral home, your arrangements, your advanced directive, that does make the passing process smoother because all of that's in place. And our social workers are great at if you don't have a funeral home picked out or you don't have a DNR, that we're, we're working with them constantly trying to get that in place. Um, we do have patients that they don't have a funeral home picked out. They don't know if mom or dad wants to be buried or cremated. Um, and so if that's not in place prior, when the patient does pass, it makes it makes that time where you should be grieving and spending time with your family a little bit tainted because you're having to make a decision on the fly. Okay, what are we gonna do? What funeral home are we going to go with? And you might not necessarily get what mom or dad wanted or what you wanted because you're having to make a immediate split second decision. Whereas if you planned before, um, you would have that. I know that when a, once a patient dies, our nurse comes in and we will call the funeral home for you guys to get that process moving, the funeral home that you've picked out. Um, but if that's not in place, then it, it just is a lot more moving pieces in a time that should be peaceful. Yeah. Linda, you've mentioned that too in the past when we've talked about that, um, that phone call, right? Um, sometimes they make that phone call to the funeral home and if they haven't made these pre-plans what's the difference between somebody who has planned and they know exactly who to call what to say versus the people who haven't planned what's that like well a lot of times when they haven't planned like crystal was saying you don't know what firm to call right. so in when they planned in advance there's one call and it's very simple for that hospice nurse to say, uh, I, I know you have a planned in advance, we'll call the funeral home, and the whole process is taken care of. The only thing that a family has to do when there's an advance plan is determine the time and the date for the service. Yeah. That's it. So you've eliminated. That's real important when we're having families that live all over the country. Yeah. And you don't have to navigate, you know, uh, all of the decisions uh, that have to be made, as well as David spends an enormous amount of time gathering information so that that information is available for the funeral home to uh, generate a death certificate. So we find in today's environment that lots of families don't know their mom's maiden name or they don't remember it at a time when there's been extended illness and they're worn down sure. or they don't know where a social security number is right. or a death certificate. So 
they don't remember where their mom lived, you know, uh, or their dad's uh, military information, discharge papers. So if you gather all that information, then your kids don't have to have to deal with it. Yeah. Anything you want to add to that, David? I, I couldn't agree more <laughs> on, on those particular issues. Those specifics are very important. And uh, I find quite often people struggle even in pre-planning to have a good grasp of that information. So it usually requires digging and then gathering again in order to get it. So, um, well, and I want to talk about the money piece guys, because, you know, we're talking about just stress, emotions and all of that, which is absolutely part of the equation. But, you know, it was funny cause you know, my father-in-law Linda, you know, did his planning with you guys recently. He and um, my mother-in-law and he, he was price shopping. I mean, he makes, you know, oh, yeah. he, he's very clear that I, he called, the two places that he knew about that work with your firm and uh, two of them. And one of them was much more expensive than the other. And he, he said, you know, I don't have a preference either way. So if this one's cheaper, why would I go with the other one? Right. Mm -hmm. And I guess people, they don't have time to do that. If they're planning at the last minute, they're going to have to go with whatever is available and, I, I had no idea the difference in costs out there. Yeah, funeral, yeah, funeral homes have different prices, just like uh, any other business, because they have operating expenses, they have different decor, they're in different locations within a community, they have different operating expenses. Yeah. So that's important. We always like to put the, the family um, I like to ask lots of questions of folks to see if they've had an experience with a particular funeral home firm because there's a level of comfort because they know the director. Right. Because right. like the hospice nurses that help families, a funeral director and the staff become part of that family for three days. Yeah. Typically. And they bond. Yeah. all but instantaneously yeah. with funeral directors because that's what they do. Well, and I think you mentioned something too that I thought was interesting um, when we were talking. It's, they are businesses, funeral, funeral services are businesses and they do, there's a certain amount of salesmanship. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you were very um, appreciative of the people that you work with in that, you know, they're, they're obviously honest and they're integrous people. And at the same time, um, I think families, when they're emotional, they're making emotional decisions. They spend too much. I know my family did. My mom uh, died of heart, a heart attack at 31 years old. And I can assure you that my grandparents spent an inordinate amount of money on her casket and everything that went with that. Um, because that's what you do to honor someone, uh, is you throw money at it in some families, right? The more money you spend, the more honor you're, you're giving them. The more you love them. The more you love them. And it's not necessarily true. So if you're, if you're planning your funeral, David, and you're a, um, you're money conscious, uh, that alleviates the family's responsibility to decide how much to spend. Does it not? 
It does. And, and when you think about it, um, pre-planning also does a very important uh, piece and element here. And that is when, when we're going through grief, our higher reasoning skills are really challenged during that time. And so it makes so much sense while you're thinking clearly, while you're feeling good uh, to be making the plans at that point in time. I think that would be true with hospice as well. I do want to talk about money on the hospice side uh, because Holly, I don't know how many people realize that there are no charge. There's no charge for what you guys do. Yes. If, if you've worked a day in your life and you have um, contributed to um, the Medicare benefit, uh, the resources of palliative and hospice is free of charge through Medicare covered a hundred percent. And people don't realize that. In fact, it's a common question asked, you know, how much is this going to cost us or my uh, family member? And there simply is no cost through Medicare. Right. Yeah. And David, same is true for that grief counseling after the fact. Is that correct? You guys provide that as a service to the that family? Is correct. There is no cost for that service. Yeah. Um, I'm going to open it up to questions, you guys. Uh, I have one more question, but I want to make sure we give everybody an opportunity to ask questions. If you're on a, uh, a device and you want to ask a question, there's a button on there that says Q&A, and you can ask a question on the Q&A button. There's also a chat function, and so depending on what kind of device you're using to, uh, to do this, uh, you're welcome to chat or ask on the Q&A. Um, you could also call the Senior Living Truth Series phone line if you're, if you're technology challenged and you need to do that. Just be patient because Naomi would be fielding those and uh, there's just one of her and there's several of you. So let's make sure that uh, we get your questions answered. Um, so DJ, who comes to our seminars regularly and always asks great questions, is asking, what is the average cost for a funeral? Um, Linda, you or David want to field that one? Well, across the country, for a, a traditional, what we'd call a traditional, and by traditional I mean you'd have a service at a church or a funeral home chapel. Um, you would have uh, some sort of visitation with the loved one present at the service. Um, and then you would go to this the cemetery so you're going to be purchasing a casket perhaps an outer burial uh container to place the casket in in the neighborhood if you go on the the uh, any of the websites out there you're probably the average is going to be around five to six thousand dollars across the country but uh in oklahoma city if you want a the process of cremation, just a simple cremation without a service. You can have a wide range of close to $1,000 all the way up to close to $4,000 because there's no regulation on funeral goods and services pricing because they're independent businesses. So you'll have a, a variation, but on average, without the cemetery property, you're going to see uh, an average of five to six thousand dollars for goods and services. So, on average, now here's I want to I want to follow up that question because that was a really good question. I think the the follow up to that, Linda, is who pays for that and when? Because I think I remember you saying one time, Nikki, that they want that money 
up front. Like that's not, you can't make payments. Right. No, <laughs> how that's does that right. work? When they perform the service, then they expect to be paid. So it's, it's no different than purchasing any other um, product. You, um, and I don't mean to, when you buy a house, you don't uh, move in before you've purchased it. Right. The same sort of thing. And I hope that's not insensitive to put it that way, but it's a clear. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I think one of the things that I came up was somebody said, well, I have life insurance. And so I'll just let my life insurance policy take care of my funeral expenses. Mm -hmm. But in order to get the life insurance policy to pay out, you have to have the death certificate. You have to get it all sent in. And then there can be a pretty good period of time between when that life insurance actually shows up uh, at your house. Mm -hmm. Whereas your policies are paid directly to the funeral director. The funeral director is paid immediately. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's right. We use a life insurance policy or annuity policy with director's life to fund the prearrangement. So you're dealing with two contracts. You have your arrangements with the funeral home where you make the selection of your goods and your services. You, you decide how you want to be laid to rest and that comes to a grand total. Let's just say it's $5,000. I've selected that I want to have a traditional service at my church and have a casket and have family and friends. Then, then um, that grand total comes to the $5,000 figure. The insurance product, the life insurance policy, is going to be for the very same price, but that contract's going to be with Director's Life Assurance Company. So you have two contracts that come together to uh, have the arrangements planned in advance. Two contracts, one contract with you in the funeral home and the other contract with you and director's life. And then we bring them together. When you pass on the policies, proceeds, the death benefits, if you will, will be assigned to the performing funeral home. The guy who's gonna help you or your family uh, after you pass on and bury you. If And so, will pay directly to the funeral home. Your family doesn't file a claim. We work directly with the funeral home. They file the claim. They provide us with the death certificate and your family doesn't have to do any of that. They have to be there for the service at the church. Now, David, I, I wanna to speak to this. So she's talking about the prepaid part of the the, the planning. You do a lot of additional planning, not just on the cost, but on what people want included in that service is uh, songs or uh, what all is included in that part of the process. Cause I understand those to be two different things. They, they truly are. You're looking at really everything from who's going to be the celebrant or the minister uh, the musicians, if there's going to be music, if there is, what songs are we going to be playing? Um, Paul Bears. Paul Bears. We're working through all of those details. Um, the selection of whatever, if it's a traditional uh, 
funeral, you're going down one side. If you're dealing with a cremation, you're, you're going down another avenue. But all of the information has to be gathered and captured. Uh, many families today are wanting a social event, and so it's not unusual for us to uh, be asked to put together something uh, for the family after uh, their gathering, and so that happens a lot as well. So those are some of the things that have to be gathered. I'm, I'm giving you a short list rather than a long list. But you walk people through all of those questions yes. so that they don't miss something. That is correct. Uh, and they also then have what I understand kind of a guide, right? A book that you give them. That is true. They will have a complete document. The, the insurance company will have one as well as the funeral home. So there's three copies of the same arrangement uh, that is established. And by the way, I did want to mention that um, when you do a pre-plan, you do have options of three, five or 10 year payments. So um, you can pay in advance and pay in payments rather than paying it all at once if you pre-plan. Okay, so if you have a budget and you're working on a budget, you can still go ahead and, and pay that in payments. Very good, thank you. All right, so I have a question. This one's an anonymous question from someone about the hospice side of things. It says, I've heard that hospice pays for all of the medications for a patient. Is that true? Let you take that. Okay, so hospice pays for 100% of the medications related to the diagnosis for why you came onto our service. So say you came onto our service for a cardiac related problem, then we're gonna pay for all of your heart meds. Um, heart and lung and hospice go hand in hand, so we're gonna pay for all of your heart medications, all of your lung medications, and then also comfort medications. Um, so comfort medications, pain, anxiety, nausea, vomiting, constipation, restlessness, will provide all of those. Um, another thing that our company provides for is equipment that you need in the home. So bed, walker, wheelchair, shower chair, uh, things like that. Um, those are things that hospice provides for you guys. And then you can turn around, then you bill that to Medicare or how does that, does it? Yes. Yeah. So yes. you all facilitate. So, well, Medicare, we do. So the family is not, the family will not get a bill um, okay. for any medications related to why they came on our service or um, any equipment. So say somebody's on oxygen and they've been on oxygen for years and they're paying monthly for this oxygen to a company, we will um, have you return, we'll have it in place before, but we'll have you return that oxygen and then we'll take over paying for that. So there's no need for um, the family to pay for oxygen monthly out of pocket. That's something that we will cover in our equipment. Okay. And I remember, Holly, at some point in the past, you guys have talked about, um, was it hospital beds that you guys do that other hospices don't always do? Is that accurate? Tell me about that. So yes, we can provide access to a low air mattress um, to prevent um, bed sores. Bed sores. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, as far so as- different than the actual bed. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, so the hospices will provide beds with just a standard mattress that you will get in a hospital. A low air loss mattress is something separate to that um, we can order. And what that does, it, al it allows alternating pressure and airflow through the mattress to help prevent the skin breakdown when somebody's not able to be as mobile or they already have a wound in place. Gotcha. Okay, and I understood that to be a individual hospice situation. Not all hospices do that. Um, 
So no, so some hospices will, but you have to have most hospices will do a low air loss mattress if you have a pretty bad wound. We will do it. What makes us different is we will provide you with a low air loss mattress if you're even at risk for getting a wound. Gotcha. Okay, fair. Thank you. All right, I'm going to ask you, Crystal and Holly, a hard question. Um, this comes with a warning, so I am going to read it. The person said, you may want to check this before reading it, but I'm going to do it because this is the truth series and this is what we do. <laughs> um, the question is, can hospice assist in ending a life of people 80 plus who wish to die with dignity when age has taken a toll on them, but they do not have a fatal disease? We cannot. So you have to, not in yeah. Oklahoma, um, you have to have a terminal diagnosis to be put on hospice. So a doctor has to tell you, or you have to be diagnosed with something, a disease that is incurable, um, or can you can no longer seek treatment for it. You're no longer a candidate for that. So in Oklahoma, we cannot assist with euthanasia. So an interesting, I want to ask it as a follow-up question because, you know, this leaves a lot to be to to be read into because if someone is it says when age has taken a toll on them I think sometimes uh, I remember I remember somebody telling me that hospice could come in due simply to age because with age sometimes certain things are breaking down like the body isn't operating like it's supposed to there may not be cancer there may not be Alzheimer's but if the if the organs are breaking down if things aren't working like they're supposed to chances are there is something happening that the doctor could diagnose um, it may not be the big things that we think of um, unfortunately i think a lot of times what happens is doctors like you guys have told me don't think about hospice do they <laughs> well and to that question nikki um when you have an individual who feels like the age has taken a toll on their body um, let us you know review records from any physician that that person has seen any specialist that person has seen and let's introduce the palliative care program um, because if if we can kind of navigate through their uh, medical history maybe we can find something that you know a doctor's not you know looking at specifically that might be appropriate for medicare uh, hospice diagnosis um, we can be that so, second set of eyes on the situation we can in palliative we still have to have a hospice diagnosis to put you on palliative but at least contact us and let us start digging and let us start trying to get that information so we can find a qualified qualifying diagnosis to either put you on hospice or palliative. Um, a lot of times if somebody's body is breaking down, they are malnourished. And so if we're able to get a set of labs on them that will qual that will show that, then we can at least get them on for that or um, labs will maybe show renal failure or liver failure. Um, so we can, we allow us to do the digging and try to help you get to where you can qualify for a hospice, but you do have to have a terminal diagnosis and to be hospice yeah. qualified. So, so two things here I hear kind of in one is if this, if this individual is ready to move on, they're, they're ready to pass. There's also something else going on there. They lack hope. 
they lack a, a reason to live, right? Which is a mental health issue. And sometimes that should be medicated. And sometimes it means that they need to have some social engagement. And sometimes it means that they need to find purpose in their life, right? Or get closure on some things in their life that has happened in the past. So sometimes I think a therapist or a social worker on your team could maybe have that conversation with that individual. And if you guys aren't appropriate as a hospice provider, put them in touch with someone else in the healthcare field to help them get to the point where maybe they don't want to pass. Maybe, maybe we can get them healthier so that they are living a quality of life. I'm just thinking out loud here. None of us want to give up on people. Um, sure. You know, if it's somebody that I can't help, trust me, I'm going to be a resource um, to put you in touch with an individual or a company that can. Yeah, absolutely. There are some great therapists out there that do home visits and social workers that do a great job of helping people um, deal with age-related loss and age-related just end-of-life fatigue, if you will, right? Um, good. That was a great question. And you know, guys, there are no questions that are off, off, uh, what am I trying to say? There are no off limits questions. Please feel free to ask. Um, all right. Um, while I'm feeling questions here, you guys have anything you want to add to that topic? Um, okay. So question here, cremation services. Um, are, does the cost of cremation vary like the cost of burial services? Yes. I think you mentioned that earlier. There was like a range from one to four or I, maybe yeah, you mentioned you'll see, you'll see a range in, in the Oklahoma City area or across our state. Mm -hmm. You'll see a range from uh, and across the country from anywhere from uh, $800 uh, or $1,000 to close to $4,000. And that's true for also for um, uh, urns. I, you know, I went uh, as part of my family studies and gerontology program at SNU. I was in my late 20s and we had uh, a visit to a funeral uh, funeral home and they showed us caskets and we got to kind of shop caskets and i thought oh that's out of the question that's crazy why would i spend that much on a casket you know and then we went and i thought well i'm going to be cremated so i'll look at urns and they had this shelf and it was beautifully arranged and i looked at urns and there was one that was i think it was brass and had a beautiful dolphin on the top and i was like oh that's calling my name you know so i pulled it down off the shelf and i looked at the price and i went they are crazy <laughs> Put that back up there. <laughs> and I thought why in the world would I spend that much money on an urn and then I found out you can provide your own urn right, right. I can go right. to Hobby Lobby and buy an urn if I want to <laughs> yes yes you can otherwise and I can just leave it in a baggie right yeah but the thing of it is you planned in advance you planned that little portion right. and and that's a good thing yeah. Oh. And so, you know, my kids, again, I don't want my kids to go and go, oh, that would be what mom would want, a $5,000 brass urn, when I would be perfectly content with them taking the baggie and going, spending that $5,000 on an amazing vacation and putting those ashes someplace meaningful. Um, that's right. But again, that's you know, me. 
that's, that's me. Right. That's but, not everybody. So, yeah. You know, that's something that, that we are talking about um, today that we didn't used to talk about. And that is you can pre-fund that trip if you'd like. That's, oh, that's amazing. So here's, here's how that would look. Um, that's an item that doesn't fall under the umbrella of a funeral home, right? Right, right. So there are all, there are the services of a funeral home are going to be needed, absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, um, in our because society, you got to have a funeral director and you need a funeral home, okay. right? When somebody passes, there's an expense to that. And we have something that's called, and you can ask your local funeral director if you're working with an advanced planner or you're working with David. Um, you can say, well, I think I don't want to pick out anything right now, but I'd like to pre-fund it. And I'd like for um, XYZ Funeral Home to take care of me when the time comes. And, um, but I sure would like to send the kids on that Disney cruise. So you can put together a pocket full of money and plan for that. And you can leave it to the children as a, as a beneficiary, you can do that. Or you can tell your local funeral director, I want a non, what we call a non-specified. I haven't made any selections, so I haven't specified what I want. But I want you to care for me. And I think the range is going to be whatever you do will be, mm, let's just say for hypothetical reasons, uh, $2,000 for you to take care of me and perform the cremation, the process of cremation. And then I want this extra $4,000 over here to be returned to the family, whatever's not used by the funeral home at the time of death. And that'll be returned to your family. And they can fund that Disney cruise. Gotcha. Does that make sense? That. David, can you explain that any better? I think you did a wonderful job, Linda. <laughs> Good. Yeah, and by golly, you better go on that Disney cruise. So, got to... Yeah, by gosh, by golly. You better have... Whoever your family member is that's the planner of the trips need to be the... Needs yeah. to be put on that, on that right. deal. In charge of that. A yeah. um, couple more questions and then we'll wrap it up, guys. These are this is good conversation. Um, what is the difference between palliative care and hospice? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the second one. Be thinking about that because the second one is kind of on the same topic we were just talking about. If you're cremated, can your ashes be interred within a relative's burial plot? In other words, could my ashes be buried with my mother? Uh, David, is that acceptable? It, it is in most cases. So um, cemetery really defines the rules of what happens within that cemetery. So you would have to get the specifics from them. Uh, we could do that kind of research for you. But in most cases, it can be done. 
Awesome, good. Thanks for asking that. I wouldn't have thought of that question at all. Um, Holly, you and Crystal want to define uh, kind of the differences between palliative and hospice? Sure. Uh, palliative care is a layer of care that is added to traditional care. Um, with a hospice diagnosis of heart disease, COPD, of course, going back to the list that you shared with us earlier, uh, if those individuals who are specifically still seeking treatment, um, we are going to be uh, an, uh, an asset to your already in place care team. So we would, um, our goal in the palliative program would be to reduce suffering, treat symptoms, and help with um, navigating additional resources through our social services. Okay, so that's not, that's still covered under the uh, umbrella of no charge to the patient, correct? Correct, in fact, we don't bill for our uh, palliative program. It's our mission and our way to give back to the community. So does that mean not all hospices have a palliative program? Not all hospices have a palliative program, no. Interesting. Okay. Um, and then, Crystal, do you want to add to that? Yes, I will. So palliative can also be um, utilized for, so say if you're, um, you're ready for hospice, but you're a dementia or Alzheimer's patient and you're not quite there yet, we will put you on our palliative program to monitor you, to document the decline, to, to get you to where you meet criteria to um, be able to become on our uh, our hospice program, and we also like to use our hospice or our palliative program for if you graduate off hospice, we will give you the option to be moved to our palliative program so we can continue to monitor you, because once you're on hospice, you're provided with a nurse, a home health aide, a social worker, a chaplain. Um, you have direct access to the physician 24/7 through the nurse, so you're used to having all of these resources. And if you get better and that ends, then you kind of feel like you're left out to dry. So if we then move you to our palliative program, then you'll still have access to a nurse, a social worker, and chaplain. Um, so palliative is kind of a precursor to hospice or patients that just need hospice but aren't quite ready yet. Okay, gotcha. Uh, can I ask a kind of an off the wall question that? Um, I know you guys are Christian-centered, faith-based, um, and for some people out there, that may seem, that may not appeal to them, like if they're not Christian, first of all, or maybe they aren't practicing a particular um, faith or religion. Um, would that disqualify them from your services? Absolutely not. Um, not at all. If somebody seeks spiritual care, we're going to pick up in that non-denominational um, uh, realm. And if somebody is not Christian-based or doesn't seek chaplain services, in fact, we have many patients, or not many patients, well, we have some patients that choose not to have a chaplain. Okay. Aren't interested in the spiritual care aspect of what uh, services we provide. Okay. And that's okay with you guys. It's up to Absolutely. them. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, okay, when last our nurse one. does the admission. Say again. Sorry, I was just going to say when our nurse does the admission, they ask, would you like a chaplain to come see you? So that is asked. It's not something that we just send out. We ask on the admission visit if you would like uh, chaplain services. Okay, great. And it says, uh, the, this question just popped. It says, uh, what are the services of the chaplain? How often does the chaplain visit the patient if they want a chaplain? I think spiritual care. Our chaplain visits 
Sorry, Go Holly. Go ahead. So our chaplain visits are probably monthly and the spiritual care is just sometimes social visits, sometimes praying with them, reading Bible verses. Um, it really is tailored to the patient and what they are wanting and what they're needing. Um, but most of our visits are monthly from the chaplains. And then towards the end, as they're transitioning, I understand that you guys make that chaplain makes themselves available more yes. frequently is that accurate more frequently and then we so after somebody passes our chaplain we do what we call a bereavement assessment and how the family's grieving um and we will have the chaplain reach out after um your loved one has passed and then they also are available to the family members for support for up to 13 months after their loved one has passed and David, you guys are also available to people after uh, a service. Uh, your clients also receive support from you guys for how long? It's really a five-week um, uh, meeting, an hour a week. Okay, so it's more like a support group, yeah? That is correct. Okay, great. And then last question, uh, do you see cremations on the rise uh, cost-wise in Oklahoma? I would say line. yes. Yeah, the cost isn't rising of the process of cremation, but yeah, people are choosing cremation uh, as a as a way to be uh, laid to 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 take care of the remains, to take care of the loved one of the body. Yeah. But sometimes there's confusion regarding well. Um, a cremation doesn't include any sort of remembrance uh, event, ceremony. So we always like to share with folks that when you have a, the process of cremation, taking care of the body after someone passes on, that it doesn't have to eliminate some sort of ceremony or service. Right. And thank you guys, understand, right? understand your question correctly. Um, we're not seeing a rise in the cost of cremation outside of maybe annual increases by a particular funeral home. Okay. So uh, what we are seeing is more people are interested in cremation. Okay. That was actually the question. I think I read it wrong. Um, yeah. And the average cost you said can range between one and 4,000 or something like that for the cost of cremation. Right. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I'm noticing more people just in my circle of influence choosing cremation. Um, even in the older generation, um, you know, I thought it was more of a younger generation phenomenon because people are more mobile and they don't necessarily have a cemetery that they're selecting to be buried at. And, but what I'm finding is even some of our older relatives are, are electing that as well. Um, and make no mistake, you can still have an earth burial with ashes. Sure. So it's very important that families have that conversation about is it important to you to have a place to go after yeah. someone passes on a location that makes me think of a, of a question or a, a comment that you could address and somebody told me recently that did you know that you can um, rent a casket you don't actually have to buy one you can rent one right many people rent a casket so that they can have um, visitation or a time with that loved one after they've passed on, an opportunity to say goodbye. It's especially important with some families 
if people, you have siblings who live in a different area. I bet uh, Holly and Crystal could tell us that often you have family who live out of town and when someone passes on, they may not have gotten to see mom for a month or two months. So it's very important to that family that they have the opportunity to see mom and say goodbye to mom. So they do the embalming process and do an open casket with the family of viewing. That's certainly an option for them. Yes. And not necessarily a burial. That's right. right. You can have the, cre the process of cremation after the time for visitation, but you have to ask your funeral home, what is their procedure, yeah. you know, if yeah. someone has passed on and they want cremation, but they also want to have visitation, a time with family and friends. Awesome. Right. It's called planning ahead, right, Linda? Planning called ahead. Planning is good. Yeah. On all, in all areas of life. I want to just conclude with uh, a couple of comments. First of all, I always learn something new from every one of these panels. You guys are amazing at what you do. And I just, I appreciate this more than probably even our attendees because I can't tell you how many questions I get when I go visit with people that are so outside my scope of real estate and downsizing and senior living. And I'm able to say, Hey, I know somebody who has the exact answer to that question because I have the opportunity to sit with you guys and do these panels. So it's so helpful. Um, I know that you all like me want people to plan ahead. So even if they choose not to pay for uh, pre-planning, but they want to learn about it and they want to figure out, you know, what their options are. You guys do a consultation process with people, correct? Yeah. All day long. All day long. Director's life assurance. And um, you have a website, Linda, too, that you've directed me to in the past that's really good for people to go to. You want to share that? Yeah, it's called youpreplan.com. Youpreplan. And it's Y-O-U or you. Right. Y-O-U-Pre-Plan.com and put it in the notes here. And put up a uh, hyphen in there. Uh-oh. You. We better make sure we have it right. That's all. I'm going to come back to you to get it right. Holly, right. if people want to talk to somebody at Oklahoma Palliative and Hospice, uh, what's the best way for them to reach out and ask you guys direct questions? So our website is um, Oklahoma, spelled out, hc.com. Yep. Or they can call me directly. Yep. 405-206-2455. 206-2455. Perfect. Linda, did you find your website? Make sure we get it right. Yeah, it's upre-plan.com. Of course it is. Should have known that. All right. Perfect. It was in my history, in my browser history, so I don't have to even type it anymore. So that's there good. There you go. All right. So, um, guys, I just want to appreciate everyone. I want to let you know that uh, there will be a survey. To those of you who have provided us with email addresses, you'll receive a survey from SurveyMonkey. 
Um, there's also a link in the notes right now in the chat that you can click on. And if you don't mind just giving us your feedback, it's also a great place for you to, uh, if you do have questions that didn't get answered uh, during this time, you can type those into the survey and we'll pass them along to these folks to follow up with you uh, as well. Uh, those of you who are new to the Senior Living Truth series, just I want to just do a reminder. I used to do this at the beginning of every one of our topics, and I've kind of gotten away from it, but I think it's important. <clears throat> we just, our goal on these sessions is not to try to sell you anything. Uh, it's not to try to convince you that uh, someone's service is better than another or cause you to go out and immediately sign up with them. Our goal is to educate, empower, and equip. And if you have a favorite uh, provider, uh, then you should talk with them. And we ask that most people, I say, get a second opinion. And these guys, if you have a primary person, these guys are great second opinions. Um, validate what you think you already know. Um, get all the facts. Comparison shop. It's totally okay to do that. I've had people say, well, I hate to call somebody when I have this family friend in real estate. You know, I'm like, you should interview us anyway. You should make sure that your family friend and us are at least telling you something similar because you know what? Everybody's different. And whoever you choose for whatever service you're looking for, whether it's hospice or whether it's pre-planning or whether it's a funeral director or whether it's anything, I just think that it's so important that you feel comfortable asking lots of questions. And that's what our sponsors are all about. So thank you guys for that. All right, well, I'm going to say goodbye for now and see you later till next time. And next month we have the truth about COVID-19 in Oklahoma. So I look forward to that conversation with some of our local experts to get the truth about the, what the heck is going on with COVID-19 as opposed to reading it or watching it on the TV. I'm so tired of that. I just want some facts. How about you guys? Yeah? That sounds great. All right. Have an amazing rest of your week. Thank you guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.